It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 757 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Joining me on the show today is my long lost friend and occasional co host, Bridget Gleason. Bridget is head of sales and customer success at Tidelift. Now, today, Bridget and I are going to focus on how to enable improved sales performance. But before we get to Bridget, I want to give you a sneak preview of some exciting changes we're making to this podcast. Big changes that we're going to start rolling out starting next week. First, let's start with the biggest announcement of all. This episode is the final episode of Accelerate as you know it. That's right. Starting next week, Accelerate is going to have a brand new name. Over the weekend, the show will be magically transformed into the Sales Enablement Podcast. So right now, you're probably asking yourself, why change Accelerate? Well, let me fill you in. After four and a half years and producing more than 750 episodes of Accelerate, I thought it was time for a change. Time to update the show to reflect the challenges that lay ahead for all of us in sales. So how did I land on sales enablement as the title for my show? Well, I looked back at all the incredible conversations I've had on this podcast over the past four and a half years and found that there was a common thread that, that ran throughout all of them, a common theme. And here's the bottom line. I've talked with over 700 incredibly smart people. We've had in-depth conversations about anything and everything that enables you, whether you're an SDR, a BDR, an account exec, sales exec, account manager, or sales manager, to have productive, knowledge-based sales interactions that have value for your buyer. Sales interactions that your buyer acknowledges are valuable to them. And that, my friends, is what sales enablement truly is about. It's about enabling every salesperson, regardless of their experience, regardless of their background, to perform to the best of their abilities when they're in front of their buyers, whether it's virtually in front of them or literally in front of them. In short, my goal has been and always will be to enable you to achieve more. And that's why I'm here for you. So starting next week, in addition to a new name, you'll see some new graphics for the show. And in one of the biggest changes, my team and I are going to bring you multiple episodes per week, starting with episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Now, if you already subscribed to Accelerate, you don't have to do anything. The new show will pop up in your player next week. But if you're new to my show this week, well, welcome. And be sure to go to iTunes right now or where, and subscribe. Okay. Are you ready? Let's get into it. Bridget, welcome back to Accelerate. Andy, it's yes. like old times. It is it's, like it old times. Like old, it feels like old times. <laughs> you know, some some guests on the show wear it as sort of a badge of honor that they've been on like three times or four times or five times. You've been on Uh-oh. Over Uh-oh. A hundred, over a hundred times. Yeah, like I'm, I'm the, I'm the guest, I'm the house guest that doesn't leave. And it's been okay. perfectly fine. Well, we, we want you to visit more frequently. Well, we'll see. That's amazing. Over a hundred times. Yeah, I mean, for people who maybe, yeah, you know, more recent listeners and, and converts to the show is is Bridget was on used to be on at least once a week, if not more sometimes, and for. God, period of three or four, three years, three and a half years, something like that. So, yeah. Andy, it's amazing. We had, uh, well, I, it's amazing we had so many things to talk about, but but maybe not. I think we can, like, <laughs> recycle over a lot of topics just I, fine. 
Well, actually, you know, it's when you go back and look at the statistics, is that many of the episodes that Bridget and I did together, we we called them Frontline Fridays because they came out on Fridays, and we were talking from the front line of sales. We're still some of the more popular episodes over the history of the show, over 755 episodes. So, not bad. Uh, you know, I think maybe being on the front line, it's misery loves company. And I shouldn't say misery because <laughs> I love what I do. Like, I choose to be on the front line. Sure. Front lines. But there is, I think... There's a lot of intensity. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of things happening in the front lines. So you need, you kind of need your people around you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as you're going through it. So I think there's probably part of that, that it's, it's kind of the collective community coming together. Yeah. Yeah. I was one of your people. And likewise. And likewise. Right. All right. So, so I have a question for you. So I was, oh, just, I was just reading a new book. Um, oh, which one? From Mark Hunter. Yes. And uh, called A Mind for Sales. So, okay. do you have a mind for sales? <laughs> I, I, I've been doing it for so long. Well, I mean, but does it feel you know, intuitive? Does it, you know, does it feel like it's just natural or it's something that takes work that you got to think about that you. I'm just sort yes, of interested, yes. you know, it's, it's, I was sort of thinking about that myself is, you know, do I have a mind for sales? Hmm. Okay. Right. So yes, yes, yes. I, I feel I have a mind for sales and yes, I think it also takes work and cultivating. Mm -hmm. I, I think for me, I, I am so, cu I'm curious right. about things and sales is one of those things I've always been curious about. And it's, I think sales has been interesting to me. It's, it's the human part of it. It's mm -hmm. the problem solving aspect of it. It's the, if you've got um, something you think other people can benefit from, how do you make those connections? So I think there's part of it. I think it's just really interesting. There's a lot of psychology in it. I agree. A lot of strategy in it, a lot of, um, I don't want to say drama. I don't mean drama in the, you know, histrionic type drama, but there's a lot of action. More reality TV type drama. It's a little more reality TV type <laughs> drama. So I think there's there's that. But I, agree with you. I agree with you on those first two points. So just to interject for a second is, is, yeah, for me, I mean, I came out of college with, as I like to say, no discernible job skills whatsoever and all Same. i had all i had was this sense of curiosity and sales seem to be a great fit for that right i mean if you're sort of boundlessly curious to learn about other people and what they're doing and how you can help them to your point about problem solving yeah it's sort of a great fit in that part and then for me yeah the rest of it i still cultivate the mindset to hey make those calls go out cold call do all the things you had to do to <laughs> to, to get the opportunity to be curious about somebody. So, you know, what's so interesting. So my father, um, he's passed away, but my father was an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur. And his background, I think was kind of economics, probably accounting mm -hmm. at that time. 
Um, but my father always incur well, he encouraged me either go into the military, which I said no to. <laughs> okay. Because he said I could travel. Okay. I'll find I, I'll find other ways to travel, but thank right. you, right. Father. And the other was he always wanted me to go into sales. And I told him no to both. No, no. Thank you for your nice advice. No. Mm-hmm. So I graduated from, I was at UCLA with a degree in um, English and business, although I taught in the engineering school, so I had a little bit of that. And my first job out of school was in marketing. So I'm clearly going squarely in the face of my father's recommendations. Mm-hmm. And it was, a probably, it was probably a year in, I was in the uh, computer and networking division at Xerox and I was doing a lot of competitive benchmarking and it kind of working with um, it, it kind of the go-to-market team. And I started thinking, I can, I should be talking to customers. I know how to talk about this. I know. <laughs> I, and I got like really ah, antsy. Like I, I need to be, I need to be talking to them. I, I feel too disconnected. Right. And that's when I made, I think just my understanding of sales shifted. And so having a mind for it was different than what I felt my father was proposing with my father. I don't know what I thought, like the, I, I don't know what I felt like a car salesman knocking on door. I don't know what, <laughs> but um, once I understood in a different context, that was it. I haven't. Sweated. Yeah. And for me, it was more like the things, parts of sales that I didn't like or didn't come most naturally to me were just things uh-huh. I needed to do to get to the parts I really liked. And so that was sort of the motivation, right? I mean, to be able to talk and have a great conversation with somebody, learn about their business, be able to help them. Yeah, then to go do the things I didn't really enjoy, which is going out and <laughs> making cold calls and prospecting. But well, this is this is the other thing. When I don't know of a job, maybe there's one, and I just don't know of it, where every aspect of it is enjoyable and in your wheelhouse, and you mm. feel energized by every facet of the job. I haven't heard anybody say that. And I think sales is the same. There are some things that I, you know, cold calling, and I've done it forever. Yeah. No, I don't wake up in the morning thinking, hey, can I get up and make some cold calls today? But there are certain parts that are, by the way, also as a VP of sales, there are a lot of things I don't like either that have to do with uh, often spreadsheets, but (laughs) part of the job. Yeah. But there are people, and I was, yeah, Mark Hunter, we're just talking about. I mean, he, Mark is, you know, very motivating, self starting. You know, his book is full of, hey, wake up. First thing you do is make your calls. I think there are multiple paths to success, as you said. And then there are parts of every job you just don't enjoy as much as others. But yeah, you sort of pay the price to get to the parts you really like. And I used to always, who said it? Maybe it was Brian Tracy which most people won't even know who he is because he was decades ago. Maybe they will. People are still buying his books. People are still buying his books. All right. Okay. Good to know. I think he's a, it's, it's a classic. I think one of the books he wrote, correct me if I'm wrong. um, Eat your frogs first. Do you know that book? (laughs) I don't know that one. But basically the, the, the 
I mean, the book that says it all. That's the book. Like you've you've essentially just read it. And it's do the hard things first. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's always been a really good adage that I try to live by. Just get that stuff. Well, put that stuff off. You got to do the hard stuff to get to the fun stuff. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, another question for you. Okay. um, I'm all warmed up now. (laughs) Okay. All warmed up. Even though it's 40-something degrees here, by the way, Boston. Remember, we used to talk about weather. We're both in our East Coast empires right now. Yes. Yeah. Sheltering in place. Sheltering in place, as we should, responsibly. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's not – I mean, it's – I I know. For the East Coast, it's warm. Okay, so I'm warmed up. Yeah, we didn't didn't have one. So you're warmed up. So I have this theory. It's not really a theory. I think it's borne out in fact, is that – we don't spend enough time thinking about how do we how do we enable people to perform sellers to perform i mean and and that let me sort of restate that is that you know we have this sort of big trend now going on in sales about sales enablement, but that seems to be so narrowly focused it's like how are we just bringing people sellers to the table in order to sell as opposed to saying how do we help them perform to the best of their abilities? So what's the question? So the question is, I think there's sort of five things that, that sort of enable performance. Okay, this doesn't sound like a question, but I'm going to go with it. We're going to get to the question. Okay, we're going to get there. I'm going to be patient. Right. Not my long suit. <laughs> so, and we're going to explore these for you. So oh. we have to enable skills, behaviors, mindset. And then there are... I think there are other things that enable performance are mentors and experience. And what experience? Experience. Okay. So I want to sort of explore for you. It's like, what was the single most important skill that you think that you learned at one point in your career that really enabled you to start performing at a higher level? Uh, A skill that enabled me to perform at a higher level. I'm sure you've got many, but just think of one that's perhaps the most important. Listening. And what triggered that? When did you, how'd you learn that lesson? Probably the hard way, you know, where if you're, if you're not actually acutely actively listening, you're going to miss things. And you're going you're gonna to miss cues as to what a prospect wants or doesn't want if they're really a, a qualified prospect or not. Like, I think it was just a lot of trial and error that if I really deeply, if I was really listening and actually really trying to solve their problem, mm-hmm. first of all, people can pick up on that. When you're really listening or when you're just nodding, but you're not really listening. Well, because you're, you're just thinking you're about just what you're going to say. <laughs> you're just waiting right. for the other person's mouth to stop moving. People can tell. So I think listening, I think listening is such an important skill to have in sales. What would you say? Well, I think I'd probably agree with listening. I mean, I think it's coming. I mean, it's, paired with this idea of being able to ask great follow-up questions. And so I think those two go hand in hand. You know, yeah, when we talk about great. asking great questions, 
It's not the first question that's most important. For me, I feel like one of the things I learned from an early boss was, yeah, the great follow-up question. But you don't know what to ask unless, to your point, you're listening. I think the thing that the, a lot of sellers don't really understand, we talk about creating value for our buyers, is I believe one of the biggest sources of value we could provide to a buyer is to understand them. Yes, understand them yes. and the context in yep. which they're operating. Yeah. So it's just so often, we, and again, we get confused, I think, when we think about empathy. We think about empathy as, oh, I can feel what you're feeling, right? I feel, I understand. Well, it's not understanding how they feel. It's understanding why they feel the way they do. That's true empathy. It's what cognitive empathy, which I think is the most important thing to have in sales, as opposed to compassionate empathy. And so, not that you don't want compassion, you want compassion, but it's the cognitive empathy which says, yeah, I now understand them more fully. And this is, this is a real source of value to the buyer to feel understood. I mean, it leads to increased levels of trust and the way things that are smooth the path to actually getting the business. Yeah, it's, yeah I, I would agree with that. It's the cognitive empathy. Sometimes... You know, getting back to asking the right questions, sometimes getting asking the right questions also help them to have a better understanding of both the problem and potential ways that mm-hmm. they can solve it. So I think great salespeople help to clarify issues and clarify potential paths to a solution and help bring bring some of that together. Also, the best way to do it is just to know what questions to ask that um, surface that. For sure. But they're going to vary from situation to situation. That's where listening becomes so important. I mean, if we're too scripted, we miss those opportunities to ask those great follow-up questions, right. which may not occur to you until you hear what somebody has to say, really hear what someone has to say. You know, Andy, I was on the other end of a sales call recently. And I won't name the company. Oh, oh, come on. No, 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 that's not okay. (laughs) It was one of the worst Mm -hmm. I've ever been on. And I felt so angry. And part of it, um, just to set the stage, they had... They're obviously the ones that initiated the call. There were two of us on the call Mm -hmm. and I think seven on their side, which is a huge imbalance. Right. And which call was it? First call? Second call? First First call. (laughs) Okay. Um, There were never any introductions. They just launched in and said, so Bridget, tell me, what is your job? What's your job? First of all, I thought, you have to have, did you do any research on who I am and what I do? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like it. Um, and I had said, it, after I responded to that, it, can you let me know who, who, who was on the call from your side? It'd be really helpful for me to know. And then she went into what felt really like just an interrogation, just a list of very scripted questions. Mm-hmm. What are your goals? Do you have one-on-ones with your team? Of course I have one-on-ones with my team. Are there goals for the team? Are there, like, some of them were 
so basic. And I guess to your point of being scripted, like, it's like, okay, I'm going to take this list here. I'm going to ask this person. I'm going to get on the next call. I'm going to ask this person. And there was nothing, there was absolutely no value that I derived from it. I don't think they got a lot of value either because I wasn't as warm and friendly as I might (laughs) normally be. Well, it certainly wasn't a conversation. No, it wasn't a conversation. And that there, right there. It was an interrogation. Right, interrogation versus all conversation. I needed, all that was missing was a bright light shining in my face and like being in a dark cell. So why do people still do that? I mean, it's not like we haven't talked about this as an industry, as a profession in sales for decades. Why is this behavior still persist? I mean... I'm going to presume that all the people on the other end of the call have been exposed at some point or another to a book, a piece of training, something, a webinar, something they've seen that said, yeah, you got to be smart about how you handle these calls, their conversations, not interrogations, you know, all these, all these things uh, about, you know, connecting, engaging the interests of the buyer. And yet the situation you described is not unusual. I mean, we hear it, no, we Andy. see it, we experience it in many forms. I mean, I, I get it either in sales calls like you talked about or, you know, when people approach me on LinkedIn. I mean, again, we, there's been no shortage of, of books and resources written about how to try to use LinkedIn effectively. And maybe 5% of the interactions. <laughs> Look at when we're like sheltering. My, my coworker, yeah. When we're sheltering in place, we're very these, flexible. We have to be flexible. These are the things that happen, right? And it's all okay. Yeah. Okay. Here's why, <laughs> Andy. I believe that, that still, this still happens. Yes. That it still happens yes. in the case of I. I, I can't speak. To, it, I'll ignore the LinkedIn one for right now, but just talk about the the yeah. the, phone, the, conver- the conversation versus interrogation. People don't know how to do it. You know, they're told, look at your eyes getting really large. Like, how could they not? Yeah, how could they not know how to do it? They don't know how to do it. When you tell them, well, don't interrogate. Here are, and a, a sales manager will say, these are the questions that I need answered. Because, you know, a lot is automated. We've got templates, got to fill this out. Mm-hmm. What's meant? Here's what you need to know. This will be helpful. You've got a little script. It takes a lot of practice. Takes a lot of practice, and I don't always know. Think they know what that means, and they need to have it modeled. You know, it needs to be modeled. You need to hear someone do it to be able to see the difference between asking a list of questions and getting those same questions answered, but in a way that doesn't feel like you're being interrogated. I think it's training. I think it's training. Well, but isn't some of it also though the pressure to? Do more, right? Somebody feeling pressured, I gotta get a certain number of dials, I have a certain number of conversations, you know, that that they're feeling pressured by some of the metrics perhaps. So they you know, the first victim of that is quality. I would say that's true. There's 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 definitely that that they yeah, there's it's it's much more of a velocity, get a whole bunch in and I don't know, I don't I don't think that works so well. I don't think that works. <laughs> well, I don't think it does. And it's funny that, again, sort of the root of my earlier questions, we still struggle with some of these basics. And 
yeah, you wonder, okay, why are we still struggling, again, after well, 120 years of professional selling in the United States, that I can go back and, I can go back and look at, at you know, Dale Carnegie from 1936 and say, oh, we still have the same problems. You know, we haven't learned a thing. I know they're going to be studying this in like philosophy and yeah, ethics. Yeah, it's like why why do we not learn anything? That's it. That you know what you can have a podcast just called "Why Don't We Learn Anything?" <laughs> why are we still because dumb as stumps? Yes, yeah. Why exactly? Because it's not just in the sales realm. Well, no, it's not. It's not. But it's it's, it's we're not. It's not limited to salespeople. It's not absolutely because I've been thinking about this a lot in the. You know, we, have this pressure, we have this pressure to do more, right? Mm-hmm. More, do more, do more, do more. But doing more by itself doesn't get you anything, right? Unless you want to turn sales just into to a, a game of chance, right? It's like we're just playing the odds at that point. If we do enough of something, we'll get X amount sure. coming out of it, right? right. Which seems to be the, the way so many people are going. But the better way is to say, well, and this, again, just doesn't apply to sales, is if you want to do more of a certain thing, the first thing you need to learn is how to do that thing better. And then you can do more of it better. Andy, I am sure in one of the hundred plus episodes that we have recorded, yeah, yeah. we've talked about this and it, 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 to an earlier comment that you made about sales enablement. Um, salespeople don't get the same training that you and I got in the dark ages they don't get the same training we had we were privileged to have weeks and weeks of training and i was not allowed to make a sales call until i had completed like had two weeks back in leesburg virginia had a certain amount of time doing xyz like there there were certain criteria before Mm -hmm. they would even let me have an interaction with the customer. Today, it's like, all right, week one, be on the phones by Friday for BDR. Mm-hmm. And it and it's it's a it's a hallmark of success if they can be on the phone by Friday. Yep. So, so I think they don't get they don't get the same amount of training. Yeah. Well I'm- for sure, right? I mean, companies pay varying levels of, of attention to onboarding and training and so on. Absolutely. Um, but then we just end up sort of perpetuating the problems that we've had in oh, the yeah. past, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's why. But let's go back to the topic that your next, you know, podcast series, why we don't learn anything. <laughs> like, how come we have not? You know what? Guilty is charged. I try not to be so guilty, but I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm guilty also, is I don't, I don't feel like we do enough training at Tidelift mm-hmm. mm-hmm. of new people. In fact, it's one of the things I actually wrote down this morning about something that we need to invest more in right now is professional development right. for the team. So what's the trade-off? And this is, I think, calculation that many people haven't done is, yeah, we extend onboarding X period of time in order to give people more training, in order to give people an opportunity to, to ramp up in a way that, that when they start, finally start making calls, they're a little more effective. 
Or alternatively, alternatively, yeah, and I see some companies, not many, but start seeing a very small trend of companies hiring more experienced SDRs. I mean, that's the alternative, yeah. right? Just hire, hire, hire somebody with five to ten years experience. Uh, uh, Andy. Yes. I don't know where you find those people that have five to ten years of experience as an SDR. Typically, they want they they'll be doing an S, the SDR role for five months and they're ready to go to a sales role. It's hard to find experienced SDRs that want to stay in the role any length of time. It's not impossible. And but that's, certain, but that's partly a function of how we pay them, how we comp- you know, compensate, and the roles we give them, right? I mean, sure. I mean, if you're looking at like saying a complex enterprise, selling a complex enterprise product, and you know, you're basically going to team an AE with an SDR, you know, X number of AEs with an SDR to capture these big accounts. Why wouldn't you pay the SDR the same amount that you would pay the AEs? That, that is a topic that could take an entire hour. <laughs> but I'll okay. tell you. We'll come back to that because I think that's something we have to really look at. Is, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what we're doing at Tidelift is we have implemented this team selling model mm-hmm. that is a, an enterprise seller, a more sort of mid-market seller, and um, a BDR. Mm-hmm. And the three of them make up a pod. And they have different functions within. They've got a, a number of target accounts. Um, we sell a lot to very large enterprises, mm-hmm. financial institutions, regulated industries. Um, they've got so, so they've got target accounts. They've got some geography that they work, and they work as a team. And part of their comp plan, it's they're they're all comped on the total number. That's how they get comped. On the, the the total quota. So they don't all get paid the same. I mean, they've got really varying levels of experience, but it's a way for them to learn a lot more quickly uh, because they're exposed to mm-hmm. a lot more. And I think it makes all the roles more interesting. So a BDR is more likely to stay in a role for longer because there's it's not just $50 a day. Right. That they're doing with some research thrown right. in. Right. And in that environment, if you were to pay the SDR roughly equivalent to what the AE gets paid, you could find yourself five, ten years down the road with somebody who's really good at that, senior yeah. level. Think of the first initial conversations they're having. Yeah. Why wouldn't you pay them that much money? So I would say we don't call them BDRs anymore when they get to that next level, but um, sort of the mid-level account executive that I've described, at least one of them that we have, is a very is a recent BDR. Mm-hmm. So, and he does tons of the outbound, but he also gets to close. Like I, th- I think they're he gets he, to, he gets to sell. He gets to sell, yeah. and you know what? The most senior, guess what? They do some outbound prospecting and cold calling also. Everybody does. Sure. Every everybody shares in that. So while it's not while it's not three people all getting paid the same amount, which I'll tell you, I I would love to have a sales team that's not even 
commission-based that just I agree just they they work and they do the job well to the point if you got this team and you're probably paying your AE the most of all of them he, yeah the enterprise he or, he or she couldn't get that job done without the roles and the contribution of the other two people so how do you establish a relative value other than by tradition that says yeah AEs they get paid more I don't I don't think it's tradition I think there is the the you see the skills that they're able to bring to the table. They're different skills. Yeah, and based on a different different experience. Sure. And they can add they can they can add they can add a lot more than and just as you move from just the more experience that they have they're they're just able to add more they're able to add a lot more than the most junior people sure but we're talking about a case where maybe you have a senior prospector we'll call them prospectors you have a senior prospector who's that's all they do that's all they've done their whole career that's just what they've done they've got uh-huh. skills they got business acumen they can you know those initial contacts those first conversations high value conversations they can actually qualify a prospect You know, this is, I think, what we want to get to, right? Instead of using the SDR and the BDR role as just sort of this, you know, cannon fodder that we throw out for, you know, right. entry-level jobs, is we turn these into a, a career path that is valued, and valued demonstrated by the fact is that, yeah, you know, your your account and your enterprise account sellers have some skills that are unique, but by the same token, they wouldn't be where they are if they had to go back and do all the prospecting that senior SDR does. They wouldn't be as capable as that person generating new leads and so on for them. Maybe we need to look at these career paths as being roughly equivalent, different, but equivalent. And then we start avoiding some of these, these issues like that call you had. You know, If you had had a really senior, experienced person leading that call that you were on the receiving end of, it might have been a very different experience. So I agree. I think part of it is the number, the the effort that's required to get to one call is, a, I mean, it's a lot, even mm-hmm. if you're excellent mm-hmm. at it. And so I think part of it is just looking at the economics of, of that. And I mean, I, there is still something to be said for this specialization of roles and yeah, I'm saying make it more specialized. So I mean, you're make it, so you're saying make it more specialized and just raise the comp to an enterprise AE comp. Keep people in that role that are good at it, that want to keep doing it. I think there are people that are good at it naturally that want to keep doing it, and we foreclose that option. Do you know where we saw that more actually was when I was at Logs.io and we had a, uh, our team in Israel mm-hmm. and in Israel, there were professional BDRs. Mm-hmm. That was, that was a career. That's what they did. That's all they wanted to do. Not everybody. Some of them wanted to move into sure. sales roles, but they all didn't. So we saw it, we saw it more there. They were typically paid better. Not yeah. necessarily the same as an AE role, but... Um, well, I, was, I was just speaking in sort of extremes, but they could certainly yeah. be... They could be valued as the professional they are. 
And they were definitely valued as professionals. Yeah, in which I think we don't see enough of. If we really, I, want, to, if we really want to specialize, I think it's sort of the myth of the specialization. What we're saying is we're specialized. We've got these SDR, BDRs. But really, the intent is we don't expect them to stay in these jobs very long. We treat them somewhat badly. <laughs> you know, and it's, well, no, if it's really specialized, and I agree it's specialized. There are people really good at it. Let's reward it and encourage it, encourage from a career perspective, like it is a real specialized role. So I don't think we treat our BDRs badly. Maybe we should talk to them to see. Maybe that's my view. Let's um, go to Glassdoor and find out. Yeah, good idea. I, I think part of it, though, is by having them in these pods, I mean, they're really celebrated at our company. They're really celebrated. Which they is fantastic. Get, they're, they're really celebrated. I think until it, it's a bit of a chicken and an egg that we don't have that professional, like we don't, we don't have that professional sort of categorization. And I think they would feel it's career limiting, mm-hmm. you know, that if they don't go to the next level, because. Right. So I think that's, that's, that will take a movement. So maybe, okay, there's another, I don't know why I'm finding jobs and <laughs> things for you to evangelize, but I figure you're the one with the microphone. Yeah. So, so I think that would be interesting, like to have professional BDRs that get paid. I like that. I, I would consider in another lifetime, like it, it, promoting that, evangelizing that. I like that. All right. Add it to the list. Yeah, add it. All right. So here's a question. Here's a question for you. Okay. Because you talked about training before. Okay. Who really taught you how to sell? Who really taught me how to sell? So I think there's I think there's four ways you learn how to sell. You learn okay, through, you learn through your customers. We'll say we'll say three. Learn okay, through, go go for it, and then I'll tell you which I'll I'll tell you which ones resonate with me. You learn from your customers. Uh-huh. You learn from peers. You learn from your managers or mentors. And. Yeah, books and reading and so on. That could be the fourth path, you know, self-education. But you have to apply it to your customers and so on. But, I mean, I I look back and I, there were several customers I dealt with. Like my first five years of my career, customers are really like CEOs of these companies I was selling to. It sort of took me under their wing and, and you know, <laughs> taught me lessons that, that I remember to this day that influenced how I sell. Or mentors, managers, similarly, that that influenced me. And you said we had great training. We did have great training. But quite frankly, when I go back and look at some of the training that we got, and so <laughs> when we started Burroughs, they had this, uh, they really relied heavily on this video-based training from this guy named Lee Dubois, Lee Dubois. You go, you'll get those things too. I saw some online a couple of years ago. It's like, it makes your skin crawl. <laughs> I just go look for fun. Um, you know, it's just you wouldn't. You'd, you, I don't use any of it, right? Other than I still joke about it with with a friend or two who I know from that era. But um, but as yeah, it's, for me, it's really as the customers, as as the mentors. I mean, obviously, learned through my own experience, which is tied to all those things. Um, I was curious for you. Okay, I learned a lot from the training we had. 
I really did. Mm-hmm. I learned, I learned a lot. I, I, I learned it was so valuable and maybe I'm, well, I think you are too. Like I love school. My sister and I were like, before we went to school, we'd play school. Like I love school. <laughs> I like learning. I want to be at the top of the class. So I think I'm, I just, it's, it's a good learning mode for me, the sort of instructor and somebody that has a lot of knowledge and the thing that they did it. I'm more self-directed. Well, there's a lot that's self-directed, but one of the things at, it was actually at Wang. Okay. Now Mm -hmm. defunct. Wang. I I know. Let's, let's not go back to how old I am. (laughs) They used to bring in as uh, people to do the training, the top reps in the field had to come in and do a rotation. They got paid the same as if they were hundred percent of quota mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they would come in and do. And I remember going to this two week training in Lowell, Massachusetts and Bernie was there like the top rep. And Andy, I think I wrote down every word. Like I, I watched how he did it. I watched how he moved. I watched it. Like I learned so much. So that was sort of a peer You're learning for your peers. Absolutely. Right sort of a peer, but instructor. So, but certainly my customers, certainly my customers, probably more than any, just this feedback of, uh, try again. Yeah. I mean, I had one customer just giving a story. I was trying to sell to this, uh, retail chain in the Bay area. This was selling a computer system. And, uh, and the CEO and I had a, great relationship but he just wasn't giving me the order <laughs> and and you know finally he just you know sort of took me aside and he he said you're probably wondering <laughs> and i said yeah and he said you just you want it too much yeah. he says you know you're you're not thinking this through at this point you're just acting sheerly on the emotion you want to get the deal and he's yeah, sort of points to my heart and says yeah this is great but this is when point in my head now this is what you gotta be using and it was right i'd sort of forgotten some of the basics you know i wasn't cultivating the relationship the same way it's all about getting the order right and he deliberately held it back <laughs> and it drove me crazy because i knew <laughs> i was going to get it but he was just teaching me a lesson. And it's an incredibly valuable lesson about, you know, when you get into these situations, you can't forget that you have to still work on the relationship. You still have to work on the connection. You have to work on continuing to, you know, discover and ask questions and make sure you understand and never sort of just focus so much on getting the deal. That was a real kindness. Yeah. Yeah. That, no, was, that, was, was, that was a gift. It was, it was a gift. Time. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That he took the time. Um, to explain the lesson. Yeah. But I mean, I can sort of cite other, you know, examples. But sort of the the bottom line was on both, or not both, but on all these examples is that, you know, I'd made that connection with that person. Yeah. Yeah, the connections. And the connections, you know, everything starts from that connection. If you don't have that connection, you're not going to be able to learn the lessons. They're not going to care about you enough. Gosh, Andy, it really, it really, really goes back to that. People can, we still sell 
last I checked, to humans. Mm-hmm. As long as we're selling human to human, that connection in the people is really important. It can't be all of it. Like your customer taught you, you've also got to use the cabeza, mm-hmm. but um, we're still selling to humans. So just having that rapport and the connection and being genuinely interested that they have a good outcome, that you're doing right by the customer. I think that's probably the most important thing that they know that you want to do right by them, for them, whether it involves you or not. You know, whether it involves you getting a deal or not. And I think one of the greatest lessons I learned, and this was Xerox luckily really held this as part of their value system. We weren't looking to get deals. We were looking to get customers. And sometimes you may not get a deal, but by acting with integrity in that, you end up winning a customer. Absolutely. kind of pro- that proved itself out in my career over and over and over and over that yeah. that's the more Abs- important absolutely yeah as you learn that lesson because it's those are the instances where perhaps you're not the right fit and you back away from the deal you tell a customer hey i think we're we're not the right fit for you at this point in time and mm-hmm. yeah i've done that and on more than one occasion it came back to me later either the customer went to another company or later at that company's right. history it became the right, right. time to do business and it's also just the right thing to do. Well, it is. If for no other reason, it's the right thing to do. And added benefit, it's good for business. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's yeah. And we've talked about this before. Is, you know, at, at heart. Yeah, of course. A hundred episodes, we've talked about it. We are all represent our character. And people, our buyers, sense, first thing they sense about us is our character. Right? That's what the perception of us is initially, who we are as a person. Right. And yeah, if we don't operate with integrity, if we aren't considered trustworthy, um, yeah, things don't go very far. True that. Yeah. Well, Bridget, I know you have to head off to a meeting here shortly. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Can we do this again before too long? Yes. You know where to find me. Well, especially because I'm sheltering in place. So <laughs> everybody knows where to fall. Like, I'm not moving. I'll go out to get sustenance. That's about it. You're not doing your morning runs? Or are you? Andy. You're doing your morning runs. Because I can do this alone. Like, I can, I can, I can do those. And yeah, when, do- And when you encounter somebody on the street, they're within six feet. What do you do? Well, look at, I can eyeball them like, like they're not sneaking up on me. So I see them coming and I can move around, cross the street, do whatever I need to do. Yeah. I've got eyes on it. Yeah, me too. It's like, keep my distance. That's right. I'm not as like, I'm not as worried that they're going to like hack on me. Like as I'm <laughs> running by. Like I Sweat had, flying off your body. No, I haven't. I haven't had that experience yet. Yeah. I'd like to say that I'm moving at such quick speeds that, that it just it wouldn't have a chance, but that's not really the case. <laughs> so as I plot along, I'm worried about it. running into a cloud of it if somebody coughs as you approach. Yeah. No. And I run so early in the morning, there's no not a there. crowd. Yeah. And it's cold. Only the fools are out that early. <laughs> Somebody's commenting. 
in the background. <laughs> yeah, the, yes, your coworker is probably my, commenting. My, like, yeah, comments coming in from from the background. Yes. So. Yes, like yes, she is crazy. She is a fool. No, I think she was, was she was she was lumping me in with you. I think yes. So okay, okay. So the collective, collective, the collective yes. Fool. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, Bridget, fantastic. All right. Until the next time. Until the next time. Look Great to talk to you. Then. All right. All right. Bye. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guest and friend, Bridget Gleason, for joining me as well. Come back again next week as Accelerate transforms into the Sales Enablement Podcast with Andy Paul. My guest will be Howard Brown. Howard's the founder and CEO of RingDNA. And we're going to have an in-depth conversation about what sales enablement really is and what it needs to be to meet the sales challenges of the next decade. So you'll definitely want to check this out. Be sure to join Howard and me for that conversation. So again, thank you for joining me on Accelerate. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.